After a lifetime of researching the dynamic and enigmatic world of light entertainment, I've decided to ditch my notebook and meet the people who inspire me. What makes them the people they are? How do they feel about the show business landscape in which they find themselves? And in a world where anyone can be a star, is there still a need for performers who have universal appeal? Come with me on a journey of discovery as I get a unique insight into Britain's favourite stars with a little help from my glamorous assistants. Yeah, well, I say glamorous, more like hazardous. And of course, we'll have a bit of fun along the way. Celebrated comedy actor Geoffrey Holland became a household name in 1980 when he was cast as holiday entertainer Spike Dixon in Perry Croft's third sitcom triumph, Heidi High. Unbeknownst to him at the time, he was now a member of a unique sitcom repertory company, which would dominate TV sitcom for the next 20 years. In 1990, the cast reunited for the aristocratic Urangmalord, where he played pompous footman James Twelvetrees, who was forever in a rivalrous battle with Paul Shane's Alf Stokes over four series. For the final chapter in the sitcom trilogy, David Croft sent up the railway strike of the 60s in Old Dr. Beeching, where he played the pompous duck-out-of-water station master, Cecil Parkin. I caught up with the comedy legend ahead of his highly anticipated live show at the Museum of Comedy to talk sitcom, comedy heroes and recollections on an unparalleled career in entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Geoffrey Holland. Your connections with Croft and Perry started early on in your career when you secured bit parts in sitcoms Are You Being Served and It Ain't Half Hot Mum. What were your first impressions of these two comedy masters? Well, I first met them before that, but I I had to go and audition for the stage show of Dad's Army in 1975. It was on in the West End of London, and I met them for the first time then. And uh, I was thrilled to bits because I didn't want to be there at that particular interview and for various reasons I was in a foul mood. <laughs> and uh, I got this script and I, I did this audition for them and I, I made them laugh. Wow. I made them laugh and I, I said, well, you enjoyed that, didn't you? And they said, yes, we did. And I said, but you wrote it because I'd just done something from the script that they'd given me to do. And I said, well, yes, we wrote it, but we put it in a drawer, gave it to the, the typist and we haven't seen it since. <laughs> and that's, they've forgotten what they've written. So I made them laugh and I got on with them, you know, straight away from there. But uh, David Croft in the television studio was a formidable master. He was a, a force to be reckoned with. You know, you didn't mess around with David Croft at all. Jimmy Perry was always so full of enthusiasm. He was there all the time. Mm. And he was you know, very approachable. David was, was the governor. We all called him the governor. <laughs> Uh, in 1978, you were cast as Spike Dixon for a sitcom pilot entitled Heidi High. What were your first impressions of the show? Did you have any idea how successful it was going to be? We didn't, of course we didn't. We were hoping, fingers crossed, that it would enjoy the same sort of success that Dad's Army and It Ain't Half Hotman were already enjoying. Uh, but we, you know, we, we knew it was a colourful uh, show. This was when we were doing the pilot, you know, just a, a one-off thing. We didn't do the series till the following year. But this, uh, it had all the bright sort of characters, it had the colour in it, the, you know, the light and shade, the brightness, the fun, the, the nonsense, the good comedy. Uh, and we were just hoping it would appeal to families down the generations. Of course, we were dead right, and it yeah, did. Yeah, Instant success. <laughs> and it's well documented that Jimmy Perry got the idea for the series when he was a red coat at Butlin's holiday camp. What effect did this have over the precision of the show? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes, it was, it, he ruled it with a rod of iron. <laughs> you know, Jimmy was an absolute stickler for, for detail because of all the, all the cap badges, the army programs, mm. the dance on the cap badges, all the insignia, and the medal ribbons particularly, it was a big thing for Jimmy. Yeah. He could get those absolutely dead right, so if he, nobody would ever write in and complain that that medal ribbon there wasn't around then when mm. you did that, because Jimmy made sure it was. Yeah. And it was the same with all the holiday camp stuff, you know, with mm. the, us wearing our little badges on our lapels, the, the ones that the campers gave to their favorite yellow coat or red coat, <laughs> you know, because they'd been entertained so much during their holiday there. So, yeah, Jimmy was right on the button with yeah. all kind of detail. It's, it's all in the details, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. <clears throat> um, how did it feel when Heidi High came to an end in 1988? Oh, it was a, it was a big wrench for, for most of the cast. I mean, for Sue and Paul and I, it was uh, a change of an era, really, the end mm. of one era and on to the next, because we knew we were going on to do Lord at the time so we you know we were celebrating the end of Heidi High which was a big wrench particularly for those that were we were saying goodbye to uh, but for the three of us we met again the following year to start on a new show mm. you know and, and the rest is history because we went on from that to do Dr Beecher later as well so we became the comedy A team <laughs> and I think that leads quite nicely into Josh's next question actually which is uh, in 1990 the main Heidi High cast reunited for You Rang My Lord now, what reservations did you have on doing something else with the cast who you'd enjoyed so much success with? Well, we were thrilled to bits, uh, to, particularly Paul, Sue and I, uh, to be, carry on working together. Uh, and, of course, it was nice to be uh, there with people like Michael Knowles and Donald Hewlett, who played the officers in H.L.F. Hoffman. They were playing the gentry upstairs in the big house, the Meldrum House. And we've got Frank Williams and Bill Pertwee from Dad's Army there as the policeman and, and the bishop. You know, so we, I'd worked with them all before. Some of the ladies were new, some we'd, we had on the show, Barbara New and Brenda Cowling, who played the cook and the shah. They'd been in episodes of Heidi High and Dad's Army and all kinds of stuff from David previously. So, you know, we, we knew some of them. The, the younger girls were new to us, so, you know, they were new friends to get to know. Mm. But it was, it was lovely working with old chums again. The only difficulty Paul Shane and I had forever, uh, for quite some time, was to, for, to call each other Alf and James. Right. rather than Spike and Ted, you know, which we'd do, been doing it for years, and uh, we, we just had to get used to it. It was hard work, but we did. Yeah. Now, in terms of sitcom, Heidi High remains unique in creating a repertory company who enjoyed success with three separate sitcoms. As an actor, what's the benefit of being associated with a definite formula? Well, as far as being involved in comedy is concerned, you know, the wonderful benefit I find is when people meet you, they smile before you've opened your mouth, mm-hmm. you know, because you're expected to be funny. Yeah. Even if you're not, you're expected to be funny. But uh, it was just a joy to be as lucky as I've been to be associated with so much comedy, one after the other, all those years, you know, part of the career of it. I'm just an actor who got lucky, I guess. <laughs> Now, the last instalment of the comedy trilogy came in 1995 when you were cast as new station master Cecil Parkin in Oh Dr. Beeching. How rewarding was it to reunite with those actors all those years later? It was again, it was just a joy, pure joy, because Paul, Sue and I again were back together as uh, three new characters this time, mm. working again with old chums from the, the old repertory company. Windsor Davis came in and did a guest spot in one episode for us. You know, we had all, all kinds of people that we knew and loved. But uh, for me, it was quite daunting because I was playing Cecil Park in The Station Master, who arrives new with a, with a whip to crack. Uh, and he's the disciplinarian. And it was the first time for me to actually be sitting behind the desk in the office 
Whereas okay. in the previous programmes, Heidi High and Your Own Lord, I was one that was standing in front of the desk mm-hmm. while somebody else sat behind the desk. So when I sat down behind this desk to shoot this scene, and all, all the whole cast are standing around me in a, mm-hmm. in a semicircle, and I'm looking up at them, you know, I'm, I started, I'm wetting myself, you know. <laughs> it's, it was just something I just wasn't used to being yeah. in charge as a character. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, I still got used to it. But that very first time, it was uh, it was a bit daunting, to yeah. say the least. Yeah. Yeah. In 2002, you teamed up with Andrew Seacombe to pay tribute to one of the most influential comedy groups in comedy history, in Goon Again. What was this able to teach you about the show's role in the history of comedy? Oh, it was it priceless. It was, it was priceless to do that. It was one of the happiest nights I've ever spent in the theatre in my life, mm-hmm. to be able to recreate those fabulous characters. Uh, do all this, I did all the Peter Sellers stuff in there and uh, you know I'd admired the Good Show for years myself I'd always had you know had the, all the records all the, of, all the recordings of, of what was available at the time and uh, and the audience that were there were, were full of pros there was a lot of family friends of, of the families of the, of the ones Sir Harry and Sir Spike that couldn't be there they were too sick the pair of them really it wasn't long after that that Harry died and Andrew was playing his father's part it, was, it meant a lot to, to him to do that to play his father's role because you know he had a lump in his throat all night yeah. he, he was really choking back the tears and right at the end he, his wife came down and they, they just fell fell on each other in the dressing room for about 10 minutes he couldn't control himself yeah. and it wasn't long after that we heard that Harry had actually passed away so I realised later what it must have meant to him on that night yeah. but we had a lot of sons of in that one we had um, Christopher Timothy was playing his father's part because his father, Andrew Timothy, was the original Goon Show announcer mm. back in the early 50s before Wallace Greenslade came in and took over. Wow. So he, he was there playing his, 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 his own father's role yeah. as the announcer. And we had Lance Ellington, of course, who came and sang one of his father Ray's songs, um, Love of Come Back to Me, I think it was, I can't remember exactly. But it was one that Ray, Ray Ellington himself had yeah. sung on the, on the show, and, and Lance came and sang it just like his dad, <laughs> just like the original. And, and we, you know, we did our best to recreate these wonderful, iconic voices, yeah. and, uh, and it was a huge success. And Barry Cryer, afterwards, in the bar, in the pub, came up to me and he said, just two words, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, spot on. Yeah. So I thought, well, that was praise indeed from a yeah. master of comedy himself. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. <laughs> now, we're here at the Museum of Comedy, where you're just about to take to the floor for your show, Geoffrey Holland and Friends. Yeah. What can we expect? Chit-chat. Lots of stories, lots of clips of various people. Mainly, well, mostly me, I think, of some of my, my stuff. Rob won't tell me what he's got in store. You see, he won't tell me what clips he's going to play because we're going to keep the show as spontaneous as mm. we can. Uh, or there'll be some clips of my favourite comedy heroes as well. That's that's why we're here as well. It's not just about me. It's about the people I love that make me laugh. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we look forward to all that. It's it's a big mixed bag, but all very entertaining. We hope very funny. Good. So I hope you enjoy it. Well, I'm sure we will. Now, uh, looking back at your career, what is your proudest achievement? Oh. Well, it'll be talked about tonight in the show, of course, but it's my, my Stan Laurel show, my one-man play about Stan Laurel, which I'm doing now. I've done it three times at Edinburgh, and so mm. I've set up success up there with it, and I've been touring it all around the country for the last few years. I've got one more p- performance of it this year before next year comes along. Yep. We'll, we'll put some more in the book next year. So, but uh, it's, a, it's a, just a tribute to my, my greatest comedy hero, mm. who, who was, for me, who was Stan Laurel. 
And it's a, it's a tribute to both Laurel and Hardy, really, as yeah. well, because at various times in the play, I'm just talking, I put the hat on, and I do Laurel and Hardy. Oh. So you get both, you get two for the <laughs> price of one. Yeah, that's nice. So Josh just asked, what did you learn about them? From doing that, uh, about doing that. I, well, the thing about doing the play is that I, I, I knew about them before I, I put, got the play put together. I mean, collaborated with a wonderful writer on the play. It's most of the text is what she wrote for me. Uh, I put the comedy in, and we had to put the piece together ourselves together. Uh, you know, you go on learning about Laurel and Hardy because there's always there's lots of great. The Sons of the Desert is the international fan club, mm. and they produce magazines and people write books. And there's always something new yeah. coming out of the woodwork about them that you find out about. Never, never stops. You've did, they've been making. We've been watching their films now for going on 80 years. Nice. So they must have got something right. Yeah. Yeah. Timeless. Must have got something right. <laughs> and finally, what is next for Geoffrey Holland? Well, after I've uh, finished this little piece, my wife and I, Judy and I, are going to be doing a play together uh, at the mill at Sonning. It's one of Ray Cooney's old farces called Rumpfy Wife. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing that for a few weeks, and then I'm doing pantomime at Christmas with my old friend Sue Pollard. Oh, we're going, getting back together for the first time in decades, <laughs> uh, and we're, we're doing Dick Whittington at the Grand Theatre in Wolverhampton. Yeah. I shall be playing Alderman Fitzwarren and she'll be playing the Wicked Queen. Brilliant. So we're going to have a great time doing that together. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll get that on there as well. Yeah. And, uh, no, thank you very much. Thank you very much to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview. If you like this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy? Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time for another Beyond the Title interview.